official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. All right, Acts chapter 4. So this morning we find ourselves in chapter 4. We've covered the majority of the first three chapters, and this is a point where the book takes kind of a hard turn, because for the first time, the apostles and the early church face real opposition. How many of you have ever felt opposition before? you faced opposition, maybe, maybe with your faith, in your faith, but maybe there's opposition in other areas of your life that you've experienced. I remember my first job on staff at a church. I was a youth pastor of the church that I grew up in as a kid. And the town I grew up in and the town that was my first church staff position was a small factory town of about 14,000 people in upstate New York. And about a year after coming on staff, a building in our downtown area was donated to the church to be turned into a youth center. And as a youth pastor, I was really excited about this. Wow, we have this cool building downtown, kind of outside of the four walls of the church. I think God's really going to do something really special with this building. And we wanted to open it up as a youth center so that teenagers after school could come in. All the latchkey kids could just come and just kind of have a place to do homework and hang out and not be at home alone. And um, we were going to use the facility for a church, youth church services. And we were really excited about the space. But there was a a well-known lawyer in town who lived directly across the street from this building. He had invested quite a bit of money in this penthouse, kind of downtown apartment thing. It was right across the street from this vacant building that the church wanted to turn into a youth center. And he was strongly opposed to a church-run youth center. He did not want to see lots of teenagers hanging out in front of his newly renovated uh, apartment. And so he started a petition in town, and he's a well-known lawyer, really well-connected, and, and he was spreading all kinds of false rumors about our church and about what we were going to do with this facility. And I got to tell you, it was hard for me not to be angry with him whenever I bumped into him in town. Again, it's the 14,000 people in this town. We've got a, a few gas stations, a few restaurants. Like you're gonna, You bump into people all the time. And there'd be times when I would bump into him, you know, in a business or at a gas station, and and it would be so hard for me not to be angry with him. And I had to constantly remind myself what the scripture teaches, that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and and spiritual uh, uh, forces. And part of me wanted to just like vindicate myself. I wanted to go up to him and I wanted to go up to all of his friends and kind of like vindicate myself, say, hey, this rumor is false and he's spreading. But I knew that that's, that that's not what I was supposed to do. Although he tried to lure us into that. Instead, what we decided to do is just rally some people together to pray because we knew we were facing more than just him. We were, there was spiritual opposition. And I remember our town board meeting when we were going to vote on it. And our town hall had never been so packed. I mean, it was like just, it was like a movie scene. It was like crazy packed, right, with teens and 
parents and teachers. And, and then we had this lawyer with kind of his three kind of, I don't know, bouncers or something, but they were like mean looking and they were together. And, and, and the chairman of the board who'd never even been to our church, um, had no interest in, 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 in our church at the time, gave this really stirring speech. Um, and the, the board voted and they granted us permission to open this youth center. And again, it was like this, like the lawyer and the three grumpy fans like mumbled some stuff and they burst out of the room. And it was just a really weird kind of scene and moment. But God did some incredible things with that building. Over the next eight years, um, some local businesses sent some volunteers and they donated materials and we did this huge renovation to it. Um, We opened it up after school for a place for students to go hang out and do homework. We started holding uh, youth church services every Friday night at seven o'clock, and hundreds of teenagers heard the gospel for the first time. You know, we used to have connect cards, kind of like we have here for first-time visitors. We had those at this youth center. And we had over 600 uh, first-time visitors fill out connect cards, teenagers in a tiny little town, right? Like, God was just doing some amazing things, and many of those kids came to know Jesus and... um, Found Christian community, and there's just so many powerful stories of what God did there. And Luann, Ian's wife, was one of my student leaders, actually. And Tasha and Matt Lehman helped me lead that ministry. And we did that for years and saw God do so many things. But the opposition that we faced was real. And it was difficult. And that experience caused me to go to passages like the one we're going to look at today in Acts 4. Because in Acts 4, we see some real opposition. And so no matter what kind of opposition you're facing in your life, you know, this, this passage is primarily for opposition to faith in, God, in, in the gospel. And, and Jesus tells us that, hey, expect that. That's going to happen. But how many know there's other kinds of opposition we face? Right? And so when I was facing that opposition, I was reading passages like Acts 4 to learn how do I do this? How do I face this opposition? And so I thought we would take some time to go through the chapter this morning. Now, everything up to this point in the book of Acts has been a party. It's just like one amazing event after another. Jesus ascends to heaven, and the disciples are like, are you kidding me? That's amazing. He just like, and, and, and he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they're praying in a room together, and the Holy Spirit comes in a really powerful and dynamic way. And it says 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. Like, it's just boom, 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 all these amazing things. Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John, there's this man who was lame by the gate beautiful of the temple and he gets healed and he's leaping around in the temple and Peter stands up to preach in Solomon's porch and a huge crowd gathers. It's just like all these great things are happening. But when we get to chapter four, we find a major disruption. There's a confrontation that happens with the Jewish authorities. In chapter four, verse one says this, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And again, they're in the temple courts, and Peter's preaching a sermon after this man had just been healed. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John 
And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And so just to kind of set what's happening here is there's such a commotion from this man who is lame for 40 years being miraculously healed. He's leaping about in the temple. He's praising God, drawing all this attention. Peter's delivering this powerful Holy Spirit-like inspired sermon, and there's a crowd of people. And there's such a commotion from this that the captain of the temple police gets involved. And it's his job to make sure that in the temple courts there's order and everything's going well. And he had a strong objection to the content of Peter's sermon. Specifically, Peter's announcement that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Now understand that what's happening here and in chapter 3 and in the beginning of chapter 4, all that was happening was a real threat to the religious authorities. See, the reason that the religious leaders had Jesus crucified in the first place was to silence him. In their eyes, he was a disruptor. He was disrupting their whole religious system. And so after they crucified Jesus, they thought they'd won the power struggle for the hearts and minds of the Jewish people. But now they come across Peter and John in their temple preaching about Jesus' resurrection. And not only that, but a man who'd been crippled for 40 years is now leaping around and bringing attention to it all. And so sheer panic sets in for them. They are panicked. They thought they'd squelch this Jesus movement, and now they find Jesus' followers continuing his ministry in their temple, exercising the same power and the same authority that Jesus had. And they're thinking, oh man, another threat to our institutions in religious ways. We thought we had finished it with Jesus, but look, now their disciples are doing it. And so they don't know what to do. Not knowing what to do about it, they had Peter and John arrested and locked up overnight until there could be an inquiry. But Luke, the author of Acts, lets us know that they're too late, that the Jesus movement has been reignited. The number, Luke tells us in, in, in Acts, grew to 5,000. And here's the first thing we learn from this passage about facing opposition, that when you try to silence truth, it rings and echoes all the louder. Have you ever noticed that? That truth has a way of finding its own vindication. It has a way of exposing ulterior motives and creating momentum. And there was nothing that the religious leaders could do to stop what was happening. And I'm sure Peter and John are amused by this. Oh, you're going to arrest us. Great. We're going to spend a night in jail. Like that's really going to stop what God's spirit is doing. Remember, it was Jesus who told them, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So they're probably thinking, yeah, whatever, like, what kind of food you got? Like, lock stuff, like, what are you going to feed us here in, in jail tonight? Got free lodging for the night. What, you're not going to be able to stop what God's Spirit is doing. Can't be silenced. Verse 5, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. 
you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, <coughs> whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And so the next morning, they're sent for, and Peter and John are brought before this group called the Sanhedrin, this council. The Sanhedrin was kind of like the supreme court of the Jewish nation. It consisted of the high priest and 70 other members who were mostly Pharisees and Sadducees. And it says that Annas and Caiaphas were there. And if, if you remember in the Gospels, those were the two priests who really spearheaded the crucifixion of Jesus. And so they're present. And they're questioning Peter and John. And Luke tells us in this passage, in a few verses later, that the the man who was born crippled for 40 years, he's with them. And so it's Peter, John, and this man. And they're standing before the Sanhedrin and the council, and they're questioning them, and they ask them this question, what power or what name did you do this? What a backwards question. <laughs> right? Never mind the fact that this man, he's walking for the first time in 40 years. And instead of celebrating kind of his healing and, and just how excited he is, they said, who gave you the, the, the right and the authority and permission to do what you just did? I mean, can you imagine that poor cripple? I mean, he's like, hello, I'm, I'm standing right here. <laughs> like, I, hello? But they're so preoccupied with protecting their own interests that they can't even go there. They say, where did you get this? Who gave you permission to do what you did? You, we locked you up in jail for that, you know. And it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, responds. And notice how he responds. Because there's a prophetic nature to his words. There's a prophetic edge to his words. He, he says this. Let's read verse 9 and 10 again. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. And so first what Peter does is he acknowledges their authority. He doesn't diss their authority. He acknowledges, he said, hey, rulers and elders of the people. What's he doing? He's respecting the position of authority that they're in. He's acknowledging it, but then he calls them out. In verse 9, he says, if we're being called to account, let us uh, question that for a little bit. And he says, essentially says this, you're interrogating us for healing this man who was born crippled for 40 years. He's walking for the first time. And yet you're responsible for crucifying Jesus who is innocent. And then he gets in two little jabs, you know, just pop, pop, two little jabs. He says, he adds this, he says, oh, by the way, God raised that Jesus from the dead. And it's by his name that this guy right here is standing here right now. And see, here's the second thing we learn about facing opposition. It's possible to honor authority and still stand up against injustice. Those two things are not exclusive. Oftentimes we think they are. We think we have to be mean and nasty and rude when we stand against injustice. No, no. They honored authority. They said, rulers and elders of the people. But let's point this out. What they also did was stand up against their hypocrisy. And because it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, they can walk that fine line. 
because he's filled with the Spirit, right? Which is really hard to do. It's really hard to respect authority and yet stand up to hypocrisy and authority. And yet we see Peter and John here doing it. And and the reason they're able to do it so powerfully is because it says they're filled with the Spirit. And here's another thing this passage teaches us about facing opposition. If you and I are ever going to respectfully challenge authority, we have to be filled with the Spirit. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he was talking to them about opposition, and he says this to them, don't worry about how to defend yourselves. I'll give you the words and wisdom that your adversaries won't be able to resist or contradict. What's he telling them? He's saying, don't rely on your own abilities and your your own wisdom. Rely on God's. Well, Peter never misses a chance in Acts to preach about Jesus, so he continues in verse 11. And these are two really powerful, jam-packed sentences. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders. Again, he's talking to the religious authorities. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. We sang about his name this morning, right? There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Wow. We, we could preach a whole series of sermons just on these two sentences, these two verses. Of course, what Peter's doing here is he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. It was a passage that Jesus himself quotes in Luke's gospel. And there's a lot of scripture passages that utilize the metaphor of a stone or a rock referring to Jesus and how everything rests and is built on him. Uh, Suffice to say, Peter is doing a ton of theology in these two sentences to demonstrate the lordship of Jesus. But he's essentially saying there's no other name to appeal to other than Jesus. And it's at this point, after Peter says these words, that the council kind of reverts to damage control. They just know, like, what are we supposed to do about this? What are we supposed to say to this? And so in verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. How did they realize that? Did they just see them like, these guys like, are unschooled. <laughs> They're ordinary. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. See, this is is where we come to my favorite sentence in this chapter, and it's this. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Nothing extraordinary about these guys. They were unschooled. They were ordinary. But they took note They could tell there was something. They recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Have you guys ever noticed how we take on characteristics of the people we spend the most time with? 
If you hang out with a group of people for too long and you spend a lot of time with them, you'll kind of take on some of their mannerisms. You'll even use some phrases or inside jokes or even our body language sometimes. We kind of use, it kind of take on their characteristics and mannerisms. And it's interesting to me, after three and a half years of following Jesus, uh, Peter and John had taken on his manner. They'd taken on his characteristics, and the Jewish authorities recognized they weren't educated, they were ordinary, yet there was something different about them. They could tell they'd been with Jesus. They could tell that Jesus had imparted something of himself to them. You know, last October in 2016, I had a chance to go to Greece for a songwriting camp, and there were 26 songwriters from 17 countries, and we stayed at this amazing studio called the Black Rock Studios, where Justin Bieber and One Republic and all these great bands record. And, and I was so excited to be at this camp, but I was the only amateur songwriter. All 25 other writers were real, they made their living writing songs. And so it was a little bit intimidating, but I went in there and we just wrote some killer songs. It was so fun. Every day they would take like three or four writers and put us in a room and we would just spend 12 hours writing and recording a song. And at the end of the camp, we were at this dinner and we were kind of celebrating the end of the camp and all of the great music we got to write. And there was this one guy who I was having a conversation with, and he knew I was the only amateur writer there. And he asked me the question, hey, Adam, do you have any aspirations to become a pro songwriter? You know, we got to write together. Like, you're, you're a good writer. You, are you going to trying to become a pro songwriter? And I said, no, not really. I really like what I do for my occupation. <laughs> now, at this camp, I didn't do any preaching. I didn't do any. I didn't have my Bible in my guitar case. We, we just kind of, I was there to write music. And so I was just kind of there, and I was writing music 12 hours a day. It was amazing. And, but, but that statement kind of caught him, and he, and he says, what, what is it that you do for your occupation? And I said, I'm a minister. And he just busted out laughing, <laughs> which I'm used to that response when I tell people uh, what I do. They're kind of like, you're, you're joking, right? <laughs> and then he said this. He goes, I knew you were a minister. And I said, how, how did you know I was a minister? Like, I didn't do any kind of evangelizing, witnessing, preaching, anything. He goes, because I could just tell you were different. Whenever you walked into a writing room, whenever you were talking with other writers and, and artists at the camp, and whenever you, there, you're just something, you, you, you didn't say anything, but I just could tell. I just, I, he goes, I knew, I knew you were a pastor. You're a pastor, right? <laughs> yes. And, you know, we had a, an amazing camp. There was this guy who I was talking with, he's written hits for uh, Celine Dion, Luther Vandross, Notorious B.I.G., Cyndi Lauper, Roberta Flack, Cher, even Ray Charles he's written hits with. This guy's written all kinds of music. And yet, this conversation that I was having was the best part of the camp. We wrote some incredible songs. I remember one morning, we're sitting in the room where, where Ryan Tedder and One Republic wrote and recorded Counting Stars. And I'm sitting in the room like, wow, this and that's the microphone Justin Bieber just recorded his purpose song. Don't tell, my, my daughter's going to flip her mind. <laughs> and we just wrote some incredible songs, but that was not the best part of the camp for me. The best part of the camp for me is when I had the conversation with this guy, and he said, I took note that you've been with Jesus. See, the most powerful testimony we have, I could preach a great sermon, I think, sometimes. 
But that's not the most powerful testimony I have. The most powerful testimony that you and I have is, is when people take note. We're ordinary. We're unschooled. We're not. But they take note that we've been with Jesus. And that's an amazing piece of this story. They're, they're Peter and John are facing all this opposition. They're ordinary. They're, there's nothing special about them. And, and yet, the, these religious authorities, the same ones who crucified Jesus, they don't know what to do. Like we, we, we can tell the, these men had been with Jesus. What are we supposed to do? Well, we'll just threaten them, I guess. And so in verse 18, it says, They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Man, he just keeps dropping burn after burn on these guys. Because he's filled with the Spirit. Right? He's not being disrespectful. He's, he's just saying, uh, rulers and elders of people, yeah, you rule us, but we're, we're not. Jesus is the authority we. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, it's almost like the parent who like, gives 17 threats to their kid, and the kid's just laughing, going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Wow, what a case study here in Scripture for us in facing opposition with the help of the Spirit, right? What they do next is powerful. We don't have time to read all the verses, but the next several verses tell us that they went back to their companions and they reported to them all that the Sanhedrin had said to them. All the threats. Hey, we just spent the night in jail, guys. And, and here's what was said to us. We were threatened. Like we, we, They told us if we do this again, we're in big trouble. They'll probably put us back in jail. They'll persecute us and, and beat us and flog us and, and all these things. And after he reports that to them, it says they raised their voice together in prayer. That their response, their response to persecution is prayer. Man, we can learn something right there when we face opposition. Instead of just fighting, rolling up our sleeves, oh yeah, I'll show you. No, what they do, they get everybody together and they pray. And here's the most amazing part. When they pray, they're not asking God for deliverance or relief. See, if that was me, I'd be like, guys, we got to get together and pray, man. I do not want to spend another night in jail. I do not want to get flogged. We've got to pray. Like, God, will you please, like, just keep us safe? Will you please, like, don't let us get arrested again. That was awful. Don't let us get, get flogged and beaten. We don't want to get crucified like Jesus. We just kind of, that's how I would pray. But not then. You know what they pray for? They didn't pray for deliverance. They prayed for boldness to keep speaking in spite of the ad- adversity. Think about that for a second. Instead of praying for deliverance, they said, God, give us boldness. Look at verse 30. Now, Lord, this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their hearts, their threats, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Here's what I'll wrap up today. I want to pray this prayer that they prayed for us. 
because I know that in, in my life at least, and I think it's safe to say this for all of us who are here, that there's all kinds of opposition that we're going to face in our faith, but also in other areas of our lives. And we need to know how to step into that, how to face that opposition in a Christ-like way, being led and filled by the Holy Spirit, right? And so I'm going to pray three things. I'm going to pray for boldness for us, same thing they prayed. I'm going to pray that God stretches out his hands and does miracles, does miraculous things. And I'm going to pray that we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to say a corporate prayer for us. I'm just going to pray for everyone in the room. And then we're going to worship together. And then over at the front over here, do we have a prayer team today? We do. And so we're going to open up this area over here. And if you're facing any kind of oppression in your life, and it doesn't have to be like uh, to your faith. Maybe it's a, a sickness, maybe it's a anxiety, maybe it's stress, but whatever it is that, that's kind of opposing you, let's, let's do what they did. Let's pray together because there's power in prayer, right? So this section is going to be open up uh, to pray, and we'll have a couple folks down here uh, ready to pray with you. And um, we'll worship together and we'll close the service. Does that sound like a good plan? All right, let me pray for you first. Lord, we want to step into this passage in Acts chapter 4, verse 30 and 31, when Peter and John come back with this report about all the amazing things that you did, but also about the opposition that was very real in their lives. And they got together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and they prayed. So Lord, we, we step into that. We do that same thing right now. Lord, I don't know the opposition that everyone in this room is facing, but you know exactly what they're facing. And God, I pray for courage, first of all, to step into this place of prayer. God, that they would step into a place of praying with brothers and sisters and lifting it up to you. And God, we pray, Lord, that you would provide us all with boldness to proclaim your word. God, that you would stretch out your hand and you would do miracles in our lives and around us, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. God, show your power. Show your goodness. And Lord, also, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? We cannot face opposition on our own. We don't even, we don't even want to. God, we want your Spirit. So we pray that you would provide those three things for us that you would meet us this morning in a really meaningful and powerful way, tangible way. And we'll give you all the power, all the praise, all the glory, all the honor that belongs to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 